This is the Converge Podcast. We meet at 10.30 every Sunday morning at Heritage Baptist Church in the chapel. This is a group that is geared towards those who are young adults who want to follow Jesus and live the gospel life wherever the journey takes them.
Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for being here today. We're going to get things going here in just like one, two minutes. So if you haven't grabbed coffee yet, go ahead and do that, and we'll get things started in just a second. Thank you so much. Okay. Good morning, everybody. We're going to get things going here today. I've just got a couple quick announcements for you. So as always, uh, if you want to stay in the loop, know what's going on, make sure that you're getting our text messages. If you aren't getting those, you can text at HB Converge to 81010, and then you'll get reminders from us throughout the week about things that are going on. One of the big ones for that is small groups. Uh, things are always a little bit different over the summer. So generally, we have groups that meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and then we've had a group that's been meeting on Friday mornings. So this week, for example, it's just going to be the Thursday group that meets. So I'll tell you that now, but if you forget on Tuesday, I'm going to send out a reminder message that says, hey, guys, uh, no small groups tonight. And then on Thursday, reminding you when and where to go for that. So if you aren't getting our text, I'd encourage you to text at HB Converge to 81010 for announcements and things going on throughout the church. Uh, as always, the best place to keep an eye out for those is hbclynchburg.com slash hub. And that's just kind of the, the hub for all the announcements and the things that Heritage wants to keep you in the loop about. For example, one of the big ones that they've been pushing recently is the uh, all of the ways that you can serve. So if you're interested in being involved in more ways, you just wanna see what's out there, you wanna see where you can jump in and help out where they need you the most, you can go to hbclynchburg.com slash volunteer. There are over a hundred different ways that you can get involved. So uh, whatever your strengths are, whatever your gifts are, whatever your reservations are, I'd encourage you to check that out and see what might be a good fit for you, where you can get plugged in and help out. 
Uh, another thing I just wanted to put on your radar, if uh, you're looking for something to do in the near future, Heritage is hiring an adult ministries assistant. So that's uh, an assistant for Dave and then a, uh, a kids ministry volunteer coordinator. So if you want to know anything more about either of those, you can go to hbclynchburg.com slash employment and uh, you can apply or get more information there as well. Uh, I believe it's part-time. But you probably want to check uh, hbclynchburg.com slash employment because I might, I might not be right about that. Uh, and then another thing that's coming up is the, is this going to play? There we go, is the, the kids musical, uh, Not Your Average Joe, is going to be uh, June 4th and 5th at 6 p.m. Um, and if you're able to be there, I'd encourage you to check it out. Um, it should be a lot of fun. Uh, my, uh, my eight-year-old is uh, involved, so we'll definitely be there. Um, we're going to be hearing today from Ben. Uh, a little bit more in the uh, Come and See series, looking specifically at the stories of Jesus as we find them in the book of John. But before we get to that, I've got a game for us this morning. So a uh, slight, uh, slight caveat here. Uh, the victors had a really great icebreaker planned and then had a sick kid that they have to tend to instead. So I've, uh, I've got this game for you today, but... Uh, Normally, I plan this out a little bit more, and, uh, and this time, the cards are just going to decide, so we'll, we'll have to see how that goes, you know? But I do have a prize for the winner, so we want to get down to one, one winner for this game, and that will be the person that gets the prize, so I'm going to need everybody to stand up, and then when you're out, when you get one wrong, you're going to sit down. So this one doesn't count. This one, this one is a practice run, okay? So here we go. Just so you know how the game works. This is the worst case scenario survival game. So I'm going to read you a problem or scenario and then three options. One of those options is according to the makers of this game, a highly reputable survival source, no doubt, um, the one that is most likely to land you in the least trouble. So you'll pick A, B, or C. Uh, so I'll read the question, then I'll read the answers, and then if you get it right, you stay standing up. If you get it wrong, you sit down, and we'll get down to one winner. So for this one, let's, this is our test one. So this would be how to treat hyperventilation. Do you, A, uh, A is sitting with your legs extended, sip hot tea. B, breathe quickly and deeply into a paper bag. C, slow the pace of your breathing until you are taking one breath every six seconds. So show of hands, who thinks it's A? Okay, who thinks it is B, breathe into a paper bag quickly? And then who thinks it's C, a breath every six seconds? So the correct answer for this one is C, slow the pace of your breathing until you're taking a breath every six seconds. So there you go, that one was our freebie. Now, here's where it gets real, okay? Okay, here we go. So our, our first question here, everybody ready? Is how to treat a dislocated nose how to treat a dislocated nose. 
Do you A, grasp the bridge firmly and crunch it upwards towards the middle? Do you B, place your two palms on either side of the nose, then clap and tug towards the center of the face? Or C, cradle the tip of your nose with your palm, the tip of the nose with your palm, and slowly move it over and up. Okay, so who thinks it is A, grasp the bridge firmly and crunch it upward towards the middle? Who thinks it is A? Okay, we've got a couple hands there. Who thinks it is B, place your two palms on either side of the nose, then clap and tug towards the center of the face? Okay, and then who thinks it's C, cradle the tip of the nose with your palm and slowly move it over and up? Okay, it is A, grasp the bridge firmly and crunch it upwards towards the middle. So if you were wondering, whoa, look at that. A one question winner. You know what? You come on up. We're gonna we're gonna do a second round. You want Starbucks or Chick-fil-A? There we go. Okay, there we go. We got a round one winner. We'll do a round two. Great job. It's I, I can't imagine when you're dealing with a broken nose that the best answer is to clap it or to pinch it or to crunch it, but there we go. That's, that's our authoritative answer. Okay, next question. Okay, new round, so everybody up, everybody stand up, here we go. So next question, how to treat chocolate poisoning in dogs? Do you A, orally administer a hydrogen peroxide and water solution, B, give the dog a tablet of Alka-Seltzer dissolved in water, or C, give the dog salt water to cleanse its system. So we've got A, hydrogen peroxide and water, B, Alka-Seltzer, C, salt water. So who thinks it is A, hydrogen peroxide? Okay. Who thinks it is B, Alka-Seltzer? Okay, and then who's going with C, salt water? It is A, hydrogen peroxide. So everybody that got A correct, please stand, continue standing. Everybody else can go ahead and be seated. Okay, here we go, next question, everybody ready? We've got how to cure a headache in the wild. Do you A, eat a concoction made from willow leaves and bark? B, lying flat on your back, place a smooth, cool stone against each temple? Or C, eat raw grasshoppers? 
they contain salicin, which is a substitute for aspirin. So A is willow bark and leaves, B is rocks on your temples, and C is eat grasshoppers. Who thinks it is A, willow bark and leaves? Anybody think it's A? We got one, two, okay. Does anybody think it's B, cool rocks on your temples? Yeah? Okay. And then C, grasshoppers, a natural source of salicin. It is A, a concoction of willow bark and leaves. Okay. Is, is it just you two? Okay, here we go. How to survive a forest fire without water. A, lie face down in a ditch or creek bed, then cover your head with a coat or blanket. B, dig a foxhole to climb into and cover your head with a coat or blanket. C, look at the treetops not yet burned to determine the direction of the wind and move quickly in that direction. So we've got B, find a ditch, or A, find a ditch, B, dig a foxhole, or C, uh, figure out where the fire's going. Who thinks it is A, lie face down in a ditch or creek bed? Okay, and then B, dig a foxhole to climb into? Okay, it is A, lay face down in a ditch or creek. Thank you so much, come on up. Here's your gift card. Thank you so much, everybody, for your participation. I hope everybody has learned some valuable, no doubt completely accurate and helpful information from our game today. Uh, that's all I've got for you. I'm going to go ahead and turn things over to Ben. He's going to continue in our Come and See series. So I'm just going to open up in prayer real quick while he comes up here, and then we'll, uh, we'll keep things rolling. Dear God, thank you so much for this uh, opportunity that we have just to get together and fellowship with each other and learn more about you. Uh, thank you so much for the amazing example that you've set for us. Just every scenario that you showed us living here as a human being, how we should live as human beings. God, I just I pray that you would help us to take into account your teaching and your example in our daily lives more and that you'd give each of us opportunities to share these stories into the lives of people around us uh, throughout the course of the semester. Thank you for all that you are, Lord, and all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, we're going to be in John 14, sort of. Um, I was telling my wife that if Pastor Nathan was teaching on this, he would take three weeks on this passage. And so I've only been given one, so I'm just going to do one of those lessons that I think is pertinent to what we're doing in this Come and See series. And so what we've done so far is we've looked at Jesus' stories throughout John and kind of asked the question, why is this good news to us? Well, John 14 is 
the passage where we come to where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so that's really going to be the kind of the crux of what we're going to explore. So there's 14 verses here that we're going to read in a second. But we're going to kind of divert from Jesus' stories to Jesus' personhood. I think that's an important thing for us to reflect on and understand and know. And so what I've got today is I've got uh, a little bit more of a lesson that I'm teaching rather than preaching. Sometimes it's hard to know uh, what to do up here. Do we have kind of sermonettes or do we have teaching lessons? So this is going to feel a little bit more like a, a classroom teaching. For those of you who like that, great. For those of you who don't, I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to start with prayer. And um, I always like to start with Ephesians six nineteen when I teach. And it says, pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words will be given to me, that I will fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel. And so I'm going to open with prayer, and I ask that you would pray that for me. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming and being the way, being the truth, and being the life, and pointing us to the Father, reconciling us as a mediator to the Father, for loving us with your life, your lived perfection, with your walk to Calvary, your willingness to lay down your life and your resurrection over death. I pray that today we would hear from your word and from your truth about who you are, Jesus. And I want to thank you for this opportunity precious name. Amen. So turn to John 14, and we're going to start. John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I may be, you may be also. And you know, to the, you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 
If you ask me, ask in my name, and I will do it, and I will do it. So, we are looking at this passage, but we're going to kind of take a rabbit trail from this passage into, uh, focused on John 14, 6, and really focused on the first word of John 14, 6, I. Who is Jesus? And so to do that, what we're going to do is we're going to look at the nature of Christ in relation to God the Father and God the Spirit. I was, my wife and I moved into a new home about three years ago. And um, in our previous home, we were bad neighbors. We, we knew our neighbors, but barely. And so when we moved into our new home, we said, let's be better neighbors. And so we kind of made this goal of being better neighbors. And we're not there yet, so that's just prefacing it. Um, but we had a neighbor on our left named Chris. And we kind of got to know Chris a little bit over the fence, kind of doing that kind of pre-neighbor conversation thing. Uh, we were remodeling our home. It was a foreclosure, and we had a whole bunch of stuff. And Chris would kind of watch and kind of curiosity, see what was going on. And, and Chris has since moved, so we were only a neighbor for a short time. Um, but while we were a neighbor, or while we were neighbors, you know, he, he was pretty clear that he was a Jehovah's Witness. And so as we were talking, I realized I need to do a good job being a neighbor to Chris. I need to do a good job being a neighbor that shows him who Jesus is. And so it really reminded me that, yes, I, I have studied many of these things back in my life, in my, back when I was going to school, um, but we need, sometimes need to return to those things that we know and we believe, but we haven't spent time strengthening. And so I want us to focus here on loving the Lord God with all of our mind. So much of our focus bifurcates the way that we love God. We want to say, I just want to love God. I just want to just love people. And so it's sometimes when we say that, what we do is we accidentally say, but I'm not going to really think deeply about the things of him. For other people, they want to say, I want to love the Lord with all my strength. And so in their strength, they're going to serve, but they don't really want to love with their heart or their giving or their time. But Jesus here is calling us to love God holistically. And part of our whole person is to not just love him with our finances, our time, our affections, but to love him with our mind. And as I was thinking through today, and you all here, you all are, how many are in college? Raise your hand. The majority are in college, not everybody's in college. How many of you in college are really happy that summer is here and you don't have any homework? Only half of you? Y'all are liars. Um, all of you, I am assuming, that are in college are happy that homework is lessened over the summer. So you've got two and a half months to do something. I assume most of you will have some sort of job. I assume that most of you who have a job are not working 60 hours a week. Those who are working 60 probably aren't working 70. You have a lot of time over the next two and a half months to do something well or to do lots of things poorly. What are you going to do with those two and a half months? How are you going to challenge yourself to, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength? Some of you are science majors. Some of you are business majors. Some of you are 
exercise science majors, some of you are education majors or nursing majors, some of you might be theology majors or something in that sense. But what are you going to do to say, I am going to prepare myself for my calling to love the Lord and to do so with my mind? And so I want to challenge you to kind of step up to the plate. I want you to challenge you to go, I am an adult. I am going to choose adult-like things. Here are hard books to read, but these are important concepts to learn. And so you need to dig deeply. Years ago, my dad was um, helping me um, pull some bushes out of my yard. And so he, he uh, roped up his truck and tied him to the bottom of the bush, and he's pulling this bush out. And as he pulls this bush out, he hits our well. And so then all of a sudden, our well has a crack in it. So I don't, know, I, mean, I don't know what to do with that. It's this old board well, you know, so it's not a real deep well. It's uh, kind of a shallow well. And now there's this giant crack in the concrete. So I called the person and um, the well person, whoever that person is. And um, they said, you better tape that up pretty good because if a, if a squirrel falls into that and drowns, you're going to be drinking squirrel for a while. Yeah, that's what I said. So I... I was calling them on my way to work, so I'm like, turned the car around, went and bought a whole bunch of tarps, duct taping the tarps around. Uh, he also said, just take a couple gallons of bleach and pour them in there. So I started drinking water. That doesn't sound very good. Because there's enough water in there, you'll be fine. So we poured a couple gallons of bleach in their well, and we, we typed it up. And um, for the next three weeks, our water tasted like bleach, and then a little funk to it. So something had gotten in the meantime. That, that story, though, what it reminds me is, is that somebody somewhere long ago dug this deep hole in the ground. And my family drank deeply from that hole in the ground. Someone took the time to dig and to do this hard work that I might reap the benefits, the life-giving benefits. If my family did not have water in our house we would eventually die unless we went to somebody else's house. Somebody needed to dig a well that we might draw that well so that we could water our family and we could live. And not just live, but flourish. You right now are in this stage and phase of life where you are digging a well for your future. I turn like 40 next year. That feels old. Someday you will turn 40 if you live long enough to get to 40. I hope you all do, but you might as well dig a well now where in, when you are 40, you are just benefiting from the work you put in at 20, 21, 22. And that work is cultivating a love for the Lord with your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And I think we, we have room to grow in loving the Lord God with our mind. The second reason this is important is we want to guard the good deposit that is entrusted to us. Narrow and wide are the paths to life and destruction. Narrow is the path to life. Wide is the path to destruction. And so we want to walk faithfully where the Lord has called us and equipped us. Proverbs says, do not depart to the right or to the left. 
And it is so easy in this life to get pulled and misdirected and, and all of this cacophony of noise that surrounds ideas and religions and theologies and politics and the nexus of all of this social context that we live in wants to pull us somewhere. But it is our charge to walk that narrow way faithfully day after day. So I grew up in Idaho, and in Idaho, um, 25% of Idaho is Mormon. And so there's a lot of Mormons in Idaho. And I, I remember, I remember um, going to my friend Kevin's house um, when I was probably 11. He was 12. He was on my soccer team. And um, he was a really good soccer player, and I wasn't. Uh, so we went to his house, and he, you know, his family was a lot like my family, three boys, three boys, played soccer, played soccer, you know, just in the same community, this, this town of like 800, we had no stoplights. So very similar type of life. So I go over to Kevin's house, and we're hanging out, and we're in his bedroom, and he's got this poster, and it's, I don't really get what it is. Like, it, it's kind of a comic book poster, but it's kind of like a, a VBS poster, and it, it was you know, kind of this in-between of something. And I was like, what's that? Oh, he says, that's Nephi. I'm like, oh, Kevin, you're a Mormon. I didn't ever get that. So he had this picture of this, this Mormon god or this Mormon uh, functionary in the Book of Mormon. And, and it really just opened my eyes. Okay, we are alike, but we are also very different. And so as I think through um, talking with Mormons and having conversation with Mormons, um, I, I think through this passage, and this passage then also sets the stage for what we're doing in John 14. And here Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly turning, deserting him who called you from the grace of Christ, turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's strong language. We don't talk like that in good Christian churches. We don't accurse people. But here's Paul is saying, as we have said before, I will say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel, gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. And the reason I think this is super important when thinking through friends or family or people that you meet that are Mormon, is because the whole basis of Mormonism is verse 8. There was a new gospel preached by, a, uh, by uh, an angel, and so they gave this new gospel to Joseph Smith. And this new gospel said, I have a new revelation to add to what Christ has said and what Christ has done and what the church history has understood and believed for 17, 1800 years. But Paul says, even if an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preached, let him be accursed. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at adding to, subtracting, multiplying, or dividing the person and work of Christ. Don't do that. Don't add to who Jesus is. That's heresy. Don't subtract from who Jesus is. That's heresy. Don't multiply what it takes to get salvation. A, a lot of sects, S-E-C-T-S, that kind, um, they will multiply. You need Jesus and good works to get to heaven. Do not divide what Christ has done. 
So that's what we're going to be looking at. And I am um, using this book, Superheroes Can't Save You, um, as kind of my, my creative license for this. So anything that I say that's like super awesome, I probably stole from Todd Miles. So I would highly recommend, so going back to that digging a deep well, if any of you are like, hey, this is interesting, I kind of want to know a little bit more, like dig a well, choose a book you wouldn't read, this is a great book to read, and this is kind of what we're going to be going through. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes into the Father except through me. So the nature of Jesus, Jesus was fully human. How many of you believe that? Okay. That is what we say. We believe that Jesus was fully human. There are Christological heresies. I was talking to a friend the other day, and he's like, why are you saying Christological heresies? Why don't you say wrong belief about Jesus? And I could totally put that here, but I'd already had my PowerPoint done. So, uh, wrong belief about Jesus. So, we believe that Jesus was 100% human. Jesus was not physically human. He just seemed to be. And that is, come on, clicker. Oh, we're going to, we'll come back to this. There we go. That is the Superman heresy. Anybody like Superman movies? Oh, come on, somebody. <laughs> Seriously? Okay. Um, I like Superman. We got, okay, we got one in the back. Thank you. We got an honest person here at church. The Superman heresy is also known as docetism. Docetism presented that Jesus only seemed to be human. So this was an early church heresy. As, as the church, as the, as the disciples, the apostles died, they handed off the torch-bearing leadership of the church to the next generation of leaders. And those leaders were the first generation who didn't actually see Jesus. You know, those in the first century, the 100s, they, they didn't see Jesus, but they, they knew of the apostle John. They didn't see Jesus, but they remember conversations with some of the, the apostles or those who walked with the apostles, maybe a father or a grandfather. And, and so they were taking what they had been given, and they were passing it on, but they were also trying to make sense of it. And so some in the church were like, well, we need to recognize that Jesus or God is high and holy, and Jesus died for us, but we don't want humanity's filth to, to tarnish God's holiness. And so they, they proposed this understanding of who Jesus was. And it was the it was eventually condemned as a heresy of docetism, that Jesus seemed to be God. So the reason that docetism is bad is because that this view believes that Jesus didn't really know what it meant to be tempted, didn't really understand pain didn't really understand struggle. But this is not what scripture clearly says. Hebrews 4.15 says, we have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us. It actually says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, but who in every respect was tempted just as we are, but was without sin. Luke 4, Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. He was tempted um, you know, I really think there's a great comparison here in 1 John 2, where John, 1 John 2 says, 
uh, we're tempted with the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The temptation to, to feel, the temptation to have, and the temptation to be. And if you look at Luke 4, when Jesus is in the, in the uh, wilderness, Jesus is tempted to feel food or to, f- to have what he should not have, to throw himself down, to, be wor- to worship, and then Satan will give him the whole world. Jesus knew. Jesus' father, somewhere along the line, died. Joseph died as when Jesus was a young man or something. He understood pain. Hebrews 12. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Jesus resisted to the point of shedding his blood. So the WWJD, Miles kind of uses this as kind of an example of how this docetism works out in our Christian world. So he said when he was a kid, WWJD, anybody, is that a thing nowadays? Anybody, at least you know what I'm talking about. That was like a thing back when I was your age. Um, and he said that he would kind of go through, okay, what would Jesus do? I'm confronted with this temptation. What would Jesus do? Jesus wouldn't actually have to fight this temptation because he'd be God. He'd be like, stiff arm. Nope, can't do it. I'm God. Not, not even tempted. And, and he said what happens is he was falling into this temptation of the Superman heresy, that Jesus was not human. Well, Jesus had to be human for our salvation. But scripture is clear that Jesus was born. Jesus grew in wisdom and favor and stature. Jesus had human limitations. He was tired in John 4. He was sleepy in Luke 8. He was thirsty in John 19. He wept when his friend Lazarus died. All four Gospels say that Jesus died. And when he was raised, Thomas said, I won't believe unless I touch his hands and his feet. And so Jesus appeared to Thomas, and Thomas touched his hands and his feet. He was literally, physically, 100% human. And he had to be, because sin is a human problem. Sin is a human problem. Humans, however, are not able to produce a solution by ourselves. Therefore, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He came and condescended in Philippians 2. He put on flesh, taking the form of a servant, that we might be saved in and through him. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Oh, oh, come on. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. This is... Turn it off. Stop, stop. It got out of order. Okay. Jesus is the second Adam, the better Adam. He is like us and thus willingly sacrificial, vicarious substitute in our place. He was a lamb that walked to Calvary so that we did not have to. Jesus could have walked to Calvary and died for his sins, but because he walked, he died for all of us. And so Jesus is human. The next heresy is the Batman heresy. Okay, this is liberalism. That Jesus is not God. He was simply a good man to follow as a good example. Anybody like Batman? Okay, I've got a couple, good. Um, have you heard 
or seen this in your friend group, your life, your people, your worlds, that Jesus was not God, but Jesus was just a good teacher. Do you understand that? You got one that says, yes, they hear that. You got a couple that hear that. Okay, I think it's really common. I think it's really common in higher education. Um, I think it's really common in critical liberal scholarship that Jesus was a good man, but he was not God. Here's why this is problematic. So another way this comes in is not necessarily just the great teacher, but this kind of bringing Jesus down, this Jesus is my homeboy. Like Jesus is so much more than your homeboy. And when you bring him down and make him your homeboy, you don't recognize his divinity and beauty. Jesus is God. Throughout this whole Come and See series, we have talked about this. And so I'm not going to beat this to a pulp. Plus, I've only got like 10 or 15 minutes left. Uh, Jesus claimed he was divine. Others claimed he was divine. Uh, he says, Peter says, my Lord and my God. They fell down and they worshipped him. When angels would come, angels would say, fear not. The temptation when, when, when humans saw angels throughout scripture is they wanted to fall down. But the angels said, no, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not worthy of worship. We are just messengers. But when they fell down and they worshiped Jesus, he accepted it because he is worthy of worship because he is God. Jesus is 100% man and he is 100% God. And as Christians, we need to affirm these truths. Why is it important that Jesus is God? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. The Heidelberg Catechism says that so that by the power of his divinity, he might bear the weight of God's anger in his humanity and earn for us and restore to us righteousness and life. If you were in Pastor Nathan's sermon, right at the very end, he was reading this, this sermon, I think, from Jonathan Edwards. And he was talking about the wrath poured out, this dam that has been built up, and this wrath that all of the sins of all of humanity, of all the worlds are being poured against this dam, and they are going to be poured out. No human could withhold that wrath. So it was poured out upon God himself, God's son. The third heresy is the Ant-Man heresy. I think this one's clever. Um, I think this one's also a little bit more easy to fall into in our worlds. So this is the temptation, the heresy of modalism. Has anybody ever heard of modalism? One, two, three, good. Okay, good. So modalism is the belief that there are three modes to God. And so long ago, God was a father. Then God vacated fatherhood and became a son. And now he is spiritual. That's kind of this idea. Or in this kind of Ant-Man comparison, um, Ant-Man can become Ant-Man. He can also become just the regular dude that he is then he can also become giant man, right? But he can't be giant man and ant man at the same time. You tracking? Anybody seen ant man? Okay, so maybe you guys like Marvel better than DC? Okay, um, so ant man can only be one at a time. And so modalism was a very common heresy in the second and third century. It was condemned, heretical, thus it's not a good view of who God is. And that's why we're talking about it. Um, if God 
is who he says he is in scripture, then he is the Father, he is the Son, and he is the Spirit. You are baptized in the name, the singular name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And so Ant-Man, there's uh, another couple ways that modalism sneaks in. So whenever somebody uses the, the analogy of an ice cube to try to explain the Trinity, well, ice can be frozen, water can be frozen, it can be liquid, and it can be gas. Thus, that's kind of like the Trinity. Has anybody ever heard that? Okay. That's another form of modalism. Because those molecules can't be vapor, water, and ice all at the same time. They can only be vapor, water, and ice individually when the temperature rises or lowers. Another way that this kind of Ant-Man heresy sneaks in is the idea of, I am a husband, a dad, and a son. But I am not a husband, a dad, and a son all at the same time to the same person. Like to my wife, I am husband, but I am not dad. I'm not son. And so I can't be the same in the same way. And so it's another form of kind of modalism that kind of turns towards a tritheistic view. So here is how we affirm theology biblically. This is the language that I would like to give to you. Um, Jesus is the Son, the Father is the Father, the Spirit is the Spirit. There's only one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Father is not the Son, is not the Spirit. And there's some tensions in how this works. But what we need to do is explore those tensions, understand those tensions, and then use the language that Scripture gives us. So scripture does give us language to speak. And so instead of coming up with your own um, right-click synonyms, find a new synonym, use what scripture's given us, that the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God. In Acts 13, when Priscilla, is it Priscilla and Aquila, they lie, and it says um, they did not lie to, to, they lied to the Spirit, they lied to God, and they died. It wasn't Priscilla and Aquila. Um, so why is it important that Jesus is the Son? Here we go. Ant-Man cannot answer prayer because prayer is Trinitarian. So we need a Trinitarian Godhead to answer our prayers. Prayer should be in the Father's, to the Father, in Jesus' name. Jesus is interceding for us. If modalism is right, when Jesus says, or when we're told in Hebrews that Jesus is interceding for us, who is he interceding to? There's no one. So modalism believes that the father then becomes the son. So who is the son interceding to? Who is he making mediation to? Who is he going on our behalf before? It's not consistent with what scripture clearly says. Salvation, this last bullet point. The father pours out his righteous and justified wrath upon the son who bore our iniquities as the mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the mediator. So if Jesus is mediating, kind of being this bridge between us and this holy God, and by his blood we are healed, and by his stripes we are healed, and through him we can come to the Father, if modalism is correct, then what we have is we have a bridge that goes nowhere. So he is the mediator between God and man, giving us his righteousness in exchange for our sins. And then we are sealed by the Spirit. 
So salvation is Trinitarian. There's three involved in this salvation. The last one is the Thor heresy. Thor heresy is Arianism. Anybody see Thor? We got a woo. Someone likes Thor. So Arianism, Thor heresy. Mormons are Arians. Jehovah's Witnesses are Arians. Oneness Pentecostals are Arians. So this is all kind of, it's more common to see this, I think, today. Arius uh, was a fourth century bishop in Alexandria, Egypt. And he started to try to, he kind of wanted to push against, I think it was docet, modalism or docetism, but then in doing so, he overcorrected. There we go. He overcorrected and uh, came up with his own heresy. Um, and in so doing, the church met in 325 to decide who was Jesus. Was Jesus what had been passed down from the, the, the church fathers, or is Jesus what Arius, Arius has said? And so these three words, these are Greek words right here, but this is kind of the hinging of what happened in the Council of Nicaea. And so the words are homoousias, heterousias, or homoousias, okay? Homoousias is same substance. So ousias is substance in Greek. Hetero is different, and homoi is similar. So the Arius controversy all contingent upon these ideas. So the same substance. Was Jesus the same substance with the Father? Or is Jesus different substance with the Father? Or was Jesus similar substance with the Father? And so Arius viewed Jesus as heterousius, different substance with the Father, a created being. So like Thor, Thor's father is Odin. Odin had a son, and he was his father and a son. Kind of, we see that language. But there was a time when Thor was not. And so Arius was saying there was a time when there, Jesus was not. Jesus was not coexistent with the Father. Jesus was not co-eternal with the Father. Jesus was not the same substance with the Father. He was the first and best created being. And that's really problematic. And so Bishop Alexander and Athanasius made it their life's goal to clarify what Jesus was. He was of the same substance with the Father. And there was this middle ground of people who just wanted everybody to be happy. And so they said, well, what if we just say homoiousius? No, that's not good enough. Because if Jesus is just similar, then he is not God and he cannot redeem us. Then God is not the Father because before time, there would be no son. So the language we want to use and understand as we see that Jesus is, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, is Jesus is co-existent, co-eternal, begotten, not created, consubstantial with the Father. So we know that we're told in Scripture that he's the only begotten Son, John 3, 16. And the, the, some translations say he's the, the one and only so this idea is that's biblical, but it's not implying that there was a creation of Jesus. So he was begotten, not created. Consubstantial means, con means with, substantial, substance. He was the with sub substance, the same substance with the Father. So John 1, 1 through 5. 
in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Wait, so the Word, Jesus, was with God in the beginning, but he was also was God. So we're seeing here this sketch of this Trinitarian relationship of who Jesus was. In the beginning, Jesus was with God and was God. Now, if you ever have a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness, they have their own translation of the Bible, the New, New Watchtower translation, I think is what it's called. Uh, and they, they add one letter here that totally changes this. And if you ask anybody who's ever done Greek, this letter is an inappropriate translation. And so they say in their translation, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was a God. But that changes things. It makes him heterousias. He was a God, a different thing. He was like Thor, not like the father. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything that was made. So if, if Arius was right, that, that he was created, how could he create himself? Because all things were made through him. All things, all of them. All means all. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. So Arius says there was a time when he was not. But John 1, 14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So this is the Nicene Creed. This is what came out of that, that council in 325. And this is the church's best attempt to explain the language that is consistent with what Scripture says. Now, if I were having my conversation with my neighbor Chris, he would say, Oh, whoa, whoa, see, see this is done in 325. This isn't what the Bible says. You need to go back to what the Bible says. And I totally agree. We need to go with the Bible says. Anything that is built as a structure of theological interpretation that is not upon Scripture is wrong. But I think this is built correctly. So their goal in this is to refute Arius. So Arius doesn't have a problem with the first sentence. We believe in one God. Doesn't have a problem with the third sentence. It's that second, second section. And we believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father as only begotten. That is, from the essence of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not created, of the same essence as the Father, homoousios, through whom all things came into being, both in heaven and in earth, who for us and for our salvation came down and was incarnate, being made a man. He suffered... And on the third day he rose, he ascended to the heavens, and he will judge the living and the dead. Going back to the top, we believe in one God, the Father, ruler of all, maker of things visible and invisible. So this Nicene Creed summarizes this debate and what the church agreed to regarding the deity of Christ contra Arius. Why is it important? that Jesus is the same substance with the Father. If Arius is correct, that there was a time when Jesus was not, then the Father is not the Father eternally. Okay? So, all of a sudden, how God has revealed himself to us is the Father. Even in the Old Testament, he is the Father. The Father of many nations, the Father of Abraham. He is, I mean, this is consistent 
in his self-revelation of who he is. But if Jesus, if God was here and Jesus was here, like Arius said, as far as the timeline of, of, of history, then before Jesus and God, who is he fathering? And if he is not fathering, then he is not loving. Therefore, he is not a God of love. He is a God of something. But it is not consistent with what scripture has clearly said, that he is God the Father. And so when we speak about Jesus, we speak about Jesus as the eternal generation of the Son. That Jesus is eternally with God, emanating with God in this relationship of love, going on forever together. From the beginning, before time, before anything, they were together in triune perfection, holiness, and love. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you may have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. For by him, Christ, all things were created in heaven and earth. If the Son were not eternal, then the essential nature of the Father is not as the Father, nor is it loving, for there is no one to love. His fundamental nature would be something else. a couple yawns going on we're almost done okay so if you want to challenge yourselves to dig a deep well read something good this summer this is a book that would be valuable he's got three other heresies i figured you didn't want me to go into them but he's got the the green lantern heresy the hulk heresy and the spider-man heresy if you're a spider-man fan maybe you'll like that better um scott swain says the church's confession of trinitarian theology is an act of obedience to god's self-revelation in Holy Scripture, not the solution to a metaphysical puzzle about unity and diversity, and certainly not an attempt to explain the tripersonal God's unfathomable being. So we accept what we have been given in Scripture, we accept it because that is what God has said, and we believe it because that is what God has said. We seek to understand all of the ways that these parts combine into painting a picture, but our minds can't grasp the infinite, and so there is mystery in this triunity. Here are two other books, three other books, sorry, that you could read if you want to dig your deep, your well deep. Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves, The Trinity Introduction by Scott Swain, Know the Heretics by Justin Holcomb. So I've got a lot of discussion questions for the Bible studies, the small groups, but I actually, I think only one small group is meeting this week, so I gave it to the small group leader. They have the discussion questions because that's a lot. <laughs> okay, that's my story for today. Um, thank you all for staying with me through this foray into church history. I am going to close with a word of prayer. Jesus, let us please, by your grace and your mercy, know you. Help us to know you as a way. Help us to know you as the truth. Help us to know you as the life. And help us to know your Father, whom we know in you, Jesus. And I thank you for these students. I pray that each of them this summer would love you with their heart and their strength and their mind and their hands. Pray this in your name. Amen. Go in peace. Have a good
Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you would like to get plugged into a small group, just text HB Converge to 81010 and you will get the text reminders for all the small groups. If you have any questions, just respond to one of those text reminders and it will go to our leadership team and they will be able to respond to you directly.